Hello, my friends. This is Tracy Sue, and you are listening to What Would Tracy Sue Do? Where we ask better questions about things that matter. I'm sitting in the parking lot right now. It's an empty parking lot. It's in front of the Human Services Building for the state of Colorado. It was already time for me to update my income information for Medicaid, and uh, I'm nervous, so I'm coming to the office before they open to make sure that I um, do not violate any quarantine rules. I'm hoping they open today because I've had some issues with the website. I'm sure there are plenty of people trying to also, now that everyone's unemployed, seek benefits um, for health insurance in particular. Um, yeah, it's an interesting world that we live in today. And one thing I've noticed is the temptation, it was already there, I'd already been noticing it, um, of everyone to say, look at the bright side before you get a chance to look at the dark side. There are fears. Right now, most of them seem like rational fears. There are fears about getting sick. There are fears about losing loved ones. There are fears about protecting loved ones. There's fear about not having enough money to support our families and to be instantly unemployed. There is fear. There is also anger, because how could this happen? Like, I'm angry at a system that is not built for humans. It's not built for citizens. It is built for serving a very small group of people who are getting a lot out of what I call corporatism as opposed to capitalism and the free market. This is not a free market. Um, and my biggest fear is that we don't make systemic change. That's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that we'll go through this, we'll watch the world fall apart, and then we will believe them when they tell us that capitalism is the only way to get another job that bailing these gigantic corporations out by giving them billions of our money so that they can re-employ people, that's what's terrifying to me. Because I lived through 9-11, and I was a newspaper, I was a magazine journalist, a travel magazine journalist. That job doesn't exist anymore. I've had to make what I could with my skills, and that sure has been a whirlwind trying to make a living as a writer in the last 18 years. I've raised an adult human to the age of 18, and I know that things did not go back to that normal, and they never will. And for a long time after that, I had a I had a very long grief period. And I say very long, but when I look back, I think, God, of such a magnificently ginormous change in humanity. Like for all of humanity, there's this magnificently enormous change. Um, and I grieved for about five years and it was pretty complicated grief. Um, I grieved 
and that was my car. I turned it on to see what time it is. I still have 20 minutes of sitting out here in the parking lot. I'm trying not to infect anyone or be infected or wait in long lines and sit in a lobby with a whole bunch of people. So I'm out here by myself before they open, hoping that they do open. So back to change, like 9-11, I knew nothing was ever going to be the same, but that has to be grieved. It must be grieved. And I think if we grieve, we can move forward with something more useful and legitimate. Back then, the advice was go shopping, spend your money, buy things. Let's pretend like we're going to get this back. It's never, ever, ever going back people. It's just not. It's not going to go back. And we don't want it to go back because guess what? It wasn't working. It wasn't working, but there was no clear exit. There was, you know, constant stalling out using loopholes in the system to prevent anyone from getting anything done. And there's been this extremism. We either get to be extreme corporatists or we get to be extreme in our change to a better system, and people hate change. Like, we are fundamentally built to not change. Our systems are built to not change. But I know myself, I had prayed for something that would change things. I know many of you had prayed for something that would change things. I mean, the biggest thing for me is that the way that we live is inhuman. Our government, our systems are, are, I believe, actually, I believe our systems should be created for humans to give us the most sense of security, belonging, safety, prosperity, together. And our system, the way we've been doing it, most absolutely 100% does not do that. And there are people on the planet doing it far better than we are. Far better than we are. God, my biggest fear is that we don't make positive change, that we just try to go back to the way it was. And we believe the lies we believed after 9-11, which is the only way out of this is to dump billions of dollars into the hands of these mega companies. A lot of those mega companies they bailed out don't exist now. They did the same exact thing in 2009 when the market crashed. Let's bail out the banks so that they can rehire people. Rehire people is going to be the line that they use that's a gimmick that's not true and it's never going to happen. Both of those experiences, those jobs, they don't exist. Those companies, they don't exist. In 9-11, I worked for a a magazine. It was a, a trade travel magazine. So corporate conventions and meetings is what I wrote about. Had some pretty killer perks, like going on trips and writing about different localities, locations in the world. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. So, and my entire industry of writing 
has changed so dramatically that to put money in that company's hands to rehire its employees uh, is foolish. 2009, my family lived in Pittsburgh, Texas, and there was a mass uh, bankruptcy in the um, food industry, which you can feel that today as uh, the company that purchased that company is now a global monopoly um, for, they call it protein, livestock meat. Um, and when that company was liquidated and bought up by a larger company, the company that my husband worked for was bought up by a larger company, the majority of people who worked for that company did not get to go forward. Uh, we actually had a foreclosed house in that deal. We had this wonderful home. Oh my gosh, I loved this home. I hated the town that it lived in and I hated the community that it was in. And I hated, like, I hated everything about living in Texas pretty much, um, except for being near my grandmother and my family and this house. And we couldn't even sell the house. Well, we could sell it. Lots of people wanted to buy it, but the banks weren't loaning money. But bailing out that bank did not prevent us from having to sell that house because the company that employed those people in that town no longer existed. So when we're dumping money, and there will be money dumped, there's already money being dumped. We cannot just be dumping money into giant corporations, assuming that those corporations are going to be there a year from now. Even with bailout money, they very probably won't. And most certainly, what we can learn from 9-11 and 2009 is that, yeah, we can bail out these mega corporations to support a system that wasn't working to begin with instead of taking a step back and saying, hey, perhaps we could think of a better way to do this. That's my biggest fear, that we go through all this pain and anxiety and we end up in the same place in a system that doesn't support humans, but supports these mega corporations who are theoretically supposed to employ us, but actually don't. They don't employ us because they're not paying us enough money to actually live on. If you qualify for benefits from the government while you have a job, that is not a job. It is not a legitimate job. You cannot claim that you have a job if you're not paying people enough money to ha not need government benefits. Like, that's my, like, base level, whether this is a job or some sort of indurtured servitude, uh... I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where I'm like, you're losing money. Like, I When I was doing one-on-one um, -on -one life coaching, I would see this with women all the time. And it was a big problem, especially after 9-11, when I became a mother, was that our companies, we didn't go back to work there. And we don't have any benefits because we don't work for companies. And that's how our entire health industry benefit system is set up. And so you're just left hanging in the wind. Ship shoppers, Uber drivers, uh, Lyft drivers, freelance writers, freelance attorneys. Free Everybody's a freelancer now. So to say, hey, mega corporations, we're going to put this money in your hands and then trust you on the free market to get it to the right people is wrong. 
it's a delusion. That's never going to happen. We know that from history. It is not going to happen. What would actually work to create a system that might function on the free market is to put that money in the hands of humans, of citizens, of people who live here and claim a way to live. Put that money in the hands of us and then allow us to make choices about what we do with that money. That would actually determine what our values are in an authentic way. Authentically, we would get a stack of cash. They are giving away billions of dollars, just billions, and they're just handing it to these corporations that may or may not exist, certainly will not exist in the way that they were, certainly will not rehire at the numbers they had, and they were already skeleton numbers. They were already skeleton numbers because after 2009, they did not rehire people. They did not. And they certainly did not rehire people for good wages. They rehired desperate people at poverty wages and they kept them at poverty wages. That is not the way a system works. We have to understand we're never going back to George W. pre-9-11 job economy. It's never going to happen. It's gone. It's over. It wasn't stable to begin with. I think that's the thing I really, really, really hope people sit back and take stock of. A stable economy has jobs, actual jobs, jobs where a person can pay for their family to live in a home with electricity and buying food, a nutritious, clean, healthy food should not be a fucking luxury. That should not be reserved for the wealthy. With medical care, health care, two different things, medical care, something's wrong, I need to go fix it, I need help. Health care, hey, I have enough money to pay for a gym membership, I can buy healthy food, I can, you know, have a balanced, a balance between my life and my business or my life and my job. I get mental health care, mental therapy. Like we have ways to be healthy. It's just that only the wealthy people, the privileged people have had access to them. A healthy economy makes sure that the majority of their people have that. Most certainly the majority of people don't have that. Even before we had this crash, the majority of people lived in a state of low-level terror about what if something happens. Mm, yep, what if something happens? You're not going to get out of it. Everyone needs help. We're all in this together. We are not in this as the infants of giant mega corporations. If you put the money in the hands of actual citizens, hey, you filed your tax returns, let's send you an extra whatever that number is. You put that money in people's hands and then we can choose. Do I buy from this airline? Do I go to this grocery store? Do I buy this kind of produce? Do I buy this kind of service? Jobs are going to be lost. And the messaging they're going to give us is this. 
we have to bail out these big companies. And so we're going to put billions of dollars in their hands and then they'll rehire at their leisure. They're not going to rehire. We're never going back to those numbers. And a big reason is that we shouldn't be all consolidated in these giant companies to begin with. These are monopolies. That's why these companies are so fragile is because they have bad business practice. They have the kind of business practice that um, makes them so fragile that they cannot survive one day. In an emergency, we have a healthcare system that is not set up for public health. And we need a system set up for public health. Because when we do things as a massive emergency, we cannot be economically smart about it. People don't make smart decisions when they're in desperation. They don't make considered decisions. And right now, what we need are considered decisions. The way that we've been doing things doesn't work for humans. It does not work for society. It only works for inanimate businesses. A stock market is not an indicator of a healthy economy. I was talking about this last year. I didn't know how we were going to end up in a recession, but I knew we would definitely, most definitely were going to end up in a recession. Go back and listen to that. Because when you have housing prices that people cannot afford to live in, and it costs more money than people make at your typical job to live. I mean, just basic fundamental living. And your majority of your population is living in a desperate panic for survival. But you live in the wealthiest nation in the world. Like people talk about, oh, in Africa, people are so happy and they don't have any money. They don't live in the wealthiest country in the world. If you're living in the wealthiest country in the world and you're surrounded by people who appear, appear to be safe, you're going to have a different psychological response than if everyone around you is poor. That's just true. It's the disparity in America that is the lie. The disparity. We are all in this together. Whether we like it or not, we're all in this together and every one of us needs health care and every one of us needs a job or income, but we cannot continue to believe that that's going to be this mega industrial. Right now, what we're going to find out is that almost no one needs an office. That's what we're going to find out. That almost no one needs an office, that the machines can take care of most of this. And people can do things online that they were doing in an office. Well, they're going to shut down those offices because those cost money, utility bills and that sort of thing. And I'm telling you right now, that's a skill set. I have that. I'm going to do um, a podcast a little bit later about how to be alone because I'm a rock star at being alone. As we come together and we sit quietly in our homes... I'm praying that we choose to invent something that makes sense in today's world, in today's economy, for today's humans, for today's citizens. And I really hope that we get a clear sense of our global connection. Like, I really hope that we're perceiving the world differently 
that it's global. Our economy is global. Our food system is global. Our corporatism is global. So these big corporations that do business here but are not American-owned and don't pay American taxes, we're going to start handing them billions of dollars. Please register that when you start hearing these bailout plans. They're already happening. And start paying attention to who these people are. And start thinking whether that really is a better way to use the money than to send it to you and me. Like these mega corporations have made so much profit. Why are they not bailing out the government? Why are they not sending their own employees home with pay? Like the the amount of profit they've been making, what have they done with that money? Where is it? And now they're going to say, well, we're not making record sales anymore. So give us a big fat free check. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. And we know that because that's exactly what they've always done. And then they're going to look like superheroes. All right, I'm going to go get in the physical line because people are starting to show up. And I've been sitting here for 20 minutes. So I will talk soon. Oh, boy, man. So in this office, this woman, I'm the first one. Actually, I drew the number four. That was my ticket that I pulled was number four, even though I'd been there for 30 minutes. Two people reached to the door uh, before I did, which is fine. But uh, I went in because their website is getting lambasted and it's not quite functional. And I wasn't finding the information that I needed online to provide them with uh, what they call income verification. And I'm self-employed, so that gets complicated because I'm operating in a negative balance currently and have been for a bit. Uh, Anyway, the girl there, woman, I guess, kept saying the same sentence over and over, like I was a mentally retarded child. So she was like, well... I said, I don't know what evidence you want me to provide, and I don't know what number to put in this blank. Like, there's just a blank that does not allow me to give them adequate information. And she kept saying, you take your income and you minus your expenses, and that's the number. And I was like, okay, it's a negative number. Should I put a negative number? Does the computer take a negative number? It doesn't matter. You take your, and she just kept repeating that. Uh, and I just looked at her with a smile and I thought, you are going to have a very, very, very long day because I am the first person you have spoken to and already you're so impatient that you can't choose another sentence. And I've noticed this in communication lately that when people understand something, they are frustrated when the receiver doesn't have equal information, right? So here's what the deal is. 
I don't stand, I don't understand what the deal is. And then here's what the deal is exactly the same way is not going to explain what the deal is. Anyway, guys, be kind to the people who are trying to help you and be kind to the people you're trying to help. This is going to be an impossible situation that honestly, I just, you know, I don't think that income should be required. I think it should just be everyone. I have a friend who um, makes quite a bit of money. And we were simultaneously going through the same health problems. Uh, And for her, it was getting very, very, very expensive. While for me, it wasn't getting expensive or not expensive one way or the other because I do have Medicaid. And I have to tell you, I am faring much better health-wise than she is because she feels like it's a luxury to take care of her health. Most people feel like it is a luxury to take care of their health, to eat clean, healthy food, to have access to basic medicine, like basic scrape the gingivitis off your gums, basic uh, I have to take a high blood pressure medication, basic my thyroid's malfunctioning and I need to take medication for that every day, basic diabetes, like the health problems that people have currently are just as significant as the ones they're facing with this virus. No one is exempt. No one is exempt from this fear. And I hope that we can look at this virus and we can say, wait a minute. Even though I am a healthy person at this age, I still need access to healthcare. So the argument that some people take from healthcare more than other people do is, yeah, that's correct, but you don't know which one you are until the end. You don't know if your health habits, your positive, healthy lifestyle is the thing that is going to keep you out of our medical system. You don't know that. I don't know that. And this virus is a really good way to relook at that and to say, oh, okay, so, you know, I exercise, I eat the right foods, I eat as healthy as I can. Uh, I certainly don't eat all clean food, that's for sure. I'm sure you don't either. I know one, maybe two or three people, one parent who can afford to do that for her children and herself to eat only organic, only uh, healthy raised animals. That's just not within reach. And I think that's a problem. I think we've been focusing on how we run the world in a way that does not see the world as being for humans. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've been seeing the world as being for business, right? A healthy economy is considered to be about business, about whether businesses are faring well. When the only reason an economy needs to exist at all is because it needs to serve the people. 
An economy is meant to serve people. Businesses are meant to serve people. We went through this、um, industrial revolution, and to do that, in order to make capitalism as it was envisioned happen, they had to convince people to leave their self-sustaining farms. To move to cities, to go to work in a factory for so many hours per day that it was、uh, incredibly terrible for their health, and they did that because they wanted things produced、uh, in a manufacturing sort of way, like just jam it out. Here's a system. Jam it out. We make widgets. Here's how you make widgets. We need a thousand people to make widgets. In order to compete with the next company over who also makes widgets, we're going to pay our employees five cents an hour more than they do. Right. So this goes along for a period of time. We've been in. We're. We've been coming out of that period of time since nine eleven. I would say is like a, sort of the marker where that stopped. Being how we do it, and we have been in the midst of an automation revolution that has shifted our employment. The way that we are employed is not the way we were employed during the industrial revolution, and the way that we have been expecting money to work is not the same. Our current "quote unquote" capitalistic system is based on a system created for the industrial revolution to force people out of their farms or their small villages into cities, so that they would work in factories for an hour pay and benefits. That period of time is over, and we've had these moments over the last fifty years. These moments where we have understood that's over, and yet we have, in our panic, responded to the government's pleas to bail out these mega corporate titans in in the mistaken. Assumption that those people were going to then return the money to people. They didn't. They won't. They didn't, and they won't because how we're living and how we're making money is different. It's not ever going back. We're not going to divide into small tribes. That's not going to happen. I hear people say that all the time when they're talking about global warming. We're not meant to live like this in cities. We have to go back into small tribes. That's not going to happen. That too is unrealistic. We have a population number and a resource number that cannot sustain that. I certainly do not hope that huge portions. Of our population dies off, like this is natural selection of nature. Nothing we're doing right now is natural selection of nature. Certainly, expecting our income to come from a small group of companies that are just megalithic in our global system is not according to nature, and it's not smart. That's why monopolies are a problem. It's not that you don't want 
companies to make a ton of money. You don't want the monopoly to be in one place because, for instance, our food system is so precarious in terms of quality and whether or not we can feel secure that... Ah, I answered a call. I didn't know that you would still be here. I'm waiting for a call and I don't want to miss it. So if I stop speaking, that is why. What was I saying? Okay, we are no longer in an industrial economy. And yet our systems, the way that we're managing money and the way that we're looking at jobs and the way that we're looking at who should be providing health care is from an industrial age. It's about 50 years behind where we need to be. Like we literally cannot go back to that. There is no way we can continue to run our economy on monopolistic, megalithic, global companies and to spend all of the money that somehow is coming out of nowhere and to dump that into these megalithic companies and say, this is going to help the economy is delusional. It's not going to help the economy because we don't even know if those companies are going to be organically and authentically left when we come out of this virus situation. Mostly they won't because we're, we're, here's what we're going to learn in about five minutes in the world. We're going to learn that almost no one needs to go to work anymore. That very few people need to be at an office in order to make the world function. Man, I wish we had known this back when I had first had children because I didn't want to quit my job. I didn't want to not have employment, but I was faced with this horrible choice to either leave my children for 60 hours a week, if you count commute and lunch, it would be 60 hours a week. And what do I want to do that for? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Leave my children for that long. And also I couldn't afford to do that because that's 60 hours of childcare, right? So you end up with an entire generation of women who are very educated, overeducated, who then become stay at home moms, who then cannot reenter the workforce because their jobs have been taken by millennials. And they had quote unquote left the workforce, uh, in order to parent. And so now no one wants them back because they don't have enough experience. Women have been the most underused resource. Mothers have been the most underused resource in the world because we had this idea that people had to go into the office. Well, guess what? We're going to realize right now what those of us who worked from home since 9-11, since we had babies, since we were faced with impossible choices... Uh, the rest of the world's going to realize that you can be more effective, more productive. Um, and I'm going to do a podcast about how to be productive because it is a skill set. It is a skill set to be able to work from home. And um, But we're never going back to offices. We're not. It's just not going to happen. We're, I mean, this is going to instill in us new knowledge. And that knowledge is hardly anyone needs to go to offices. We're also going to learn that almost no, almost no, uh, products need to be sold in person, right? Like 
man, I've been sitting here. I need a couple things. Um, I'm a big journal writer. I write journals and I've realized that I'm almost out of pages. So I need to find some journals. And I'm like, I feel guilty buying them from Amazon because I want to buy locally as much as I can. But also I can't go tromping around retail stores in order to buy them, right? What we're going to start to figure out is no one needs to go to an office and no one needs to go to the store. And that means no one needs to man the store. And that one, that means no one needs to, you know, pay for infrastructure. Like this is going to change things so dramatically. And we don't know how. And the more on our own we are in terms of just basic being alive, the scarier and the harder it's going to be. This would be a fantastic opportunity for the government to simply declare, okay, Medicaid for all. Right now, Medicaid for all, because this is going to get so confusing and so complicated as people start to die off that the the insurance industry isn't even going to keep their head up. They're going to ask for a whole bunch of bailout money when why give it to an insurance company? A company is not people instead of incorporating that insurance company into a healthcare for all system. This is the perfect opportunity to do a healthcare for all system because things are going to get so murky and so dark in terms of who should be paying for what with this virus that the insurance companies are going to claim that they're going to go bankrupt and the hospitals are going to claim that they're going to go bankrupt too when our healthcare system isn't meant for companies to not go bankrupt. It should be meant to keep citizens and residents healthy. So if we have a system that is meant to keep citizens healthy, we are set up for this. Right? The big crisis in America is that we're going to run out of resources because companies who are in for profit, companies who are in for profit situations do not prepare for public health emergencies. It's not their job. However, because that's our system, that is the only thing we have going on. The only thing we have going on is not about public health. And I think that's a problem. I think this is the perfect opportunity to say, you know what? This system doesn't work. It doesn't function. It doesn't function because we don't go to jobs anymore. And so our employers paying for or assisting with or Going through the employer is not a reasonable expectation for the majority of people anymore. That was for a day and age that has long since passed. Having your health care tied to your job is long since past. So many people are going to be unemployed and never re-employed. See, that's the thing we can learn from 2001 and 2009, 9-11 and the housing crash. What we can learn from that is that people are not 
tied to their jobs forever, and those jobs never come back. The jobs that existed in 2001 never came back. So once you're gone from your company, as millions of people are now just gone from their companies, right? Their company is gone bankrupt, it no longer exists, whatever, right? Those people cannot have a reasonable expectation of being rehired. No one can have a reasonable expectation of being rehired, which is why it does not make sense to tie our healthcare to employment at all. It doesn't make any sense to tie our healthcare to employment at all. So what do we then tie it to? We tie it to ourselves, to the fact that we're citizens and residents and that we're alive. And we consolidate that so that it is efficient. That's the beautiful thing about running it through a government is that it is efficient. We know that everyone is covered. You should be allowed to change jobs or change professions or be brave enough to launch a company or to switch whatever it is that you're doing now to something else without having your health care tied to that. Because that's when a an actual free market takes place. An actual free market takes place when we have the ability to choose what we do to make money and not have that be a death march of terror because we cannot have a specific kind of employer. Right. So what I discovered uh, after 9-11 is that the travel industry was never coming back to the way it was before. Now, hotels and airlines and that sort of thing eventually got back on their feet. But being a writer never recovered because we simultaneously had this revolution in technology and automation right? So now the whole thing changed up. It just switched around. We're never going back to a place where the majority of people are employed by a big company. And even if we are working for a big company, this is what we learned after 2008 or 2009, that housing crash. What we learned is that they don't hire people back full time And certainly they don't hire them back full time on salary or with benefits, right? So after 2009, we bailed out all of these giant banks and these big companies and said, oh, well, we have to keep the economy moving. So let's dump all this money into massive bailouts for banks and such so that they can continue to lend and so that they can hire people back. People did not get hired back. They ended up owning small businesses. Um, they ended up working for places like Lyft and Uber and Shipt, which is just an abuse of the 1099. Okay, and folks, if you are starting to order things from Lyft and Uber and Shipt and Postmates and DoorDash and all of these delivery services, if you do not tip, you are going to hell. I'm going to tell you that right now. You won't need any religion in your life. You will go straight to hell because 
Those people are paying for their own gas. They are paying someone $6 to go get your stuff from Target, and that person is taking a health risk. They're risking their uh, livelihood by driving around their car. They're paying insurance. They're paying gas. They're paying all kinds of things. They are not compensated per hour. They will be losing money to bring you what you need in terms of food or whatever they're picking up at the store for you. If you do not tip them, that is a ticket to hell. Straight to hell. These people have no benefits. I did this this summer to see what would happen. And I lost money. I lost a significant amount of money because people don't tip. That's how entitled we've become. And if you feel entitled to put someone's life in danger by running errands for you and you are not tipping right now, straight to hell. Everyone who's ever worked in the service industry and tried to survive on tips understands that you will go straight to hell if you do not tip. It's just true. And if you're a dick, no, no. Tip your drivers. Tip your drivers. And you won't necessarily see an improvement in this industry in driving, which is going to be one of the most um, needed people right now because all of a sudden everybody's going to do it. And so they'll be competing to lose money. There will be a competition to lose money. Because these big corporations, you're paying a fee and you think that they're going to the driver and they're not. They're not. Because of the way that we are changing our ways that we work and because things are so in flux, the only efficient, fair way to do it is for everyone to have equal access to the medical system regardless of their employment situation. We cannot have millions of people uninsured and expect that not to have a disastrous effect. We have to change the way we are taxing and the way we are working and the way we are being covered with our health care and the way we are saving for retirement to make it so that the person who does not work for one of these mega corporations is not harmed to the degree that they can't even sustain their own lives. We're in this transition away from this industrial way of working. And that's what our social system is built on. This industrial way of working that is never coming back. The most efficient economically as a people, as a country, as a group of citizens who have declared allegiance or belonging to something needs to be covered universally. Everyone has to have insurance. I don't care if you're a 25-year-old man. 
who doesn't have to worry about getting knocked up and doesn't have to worry about all the freaking complications that come with femininity and being the part of the species that bears children and thus bears the financial and medical burden. It is in your interest that we all get healthcare. It should not be a luxury. There are things that just should not be luxuries that are currently luxuries because we're still pretending that there's a nine to five job out there for everyone and there's not. Like that's the assumption that we're working on when we say, oh, well, why should I pay for them? The assumption is that there is a nine to five job for them to go out and get if they just wanted one. And it's not true. I know it's not true. Certainly over the last 18 years, I've had periods in my life where I'm like, forget it. I don't want to own a business anymore. I just want to go get a job. But that's not how it works. I can get contract work from a large company, maybe. But a job job is not coming back. And an office where people have their jobs also is not going to come back. So if we dump all of this emergency money into the insurance company instead of dumping it into a communal fund where everyone gets access to medical care, it is going to be a terrible missed opportunity. And it's just going to be really inefficient. All of that money is going to go in the toilet because we're going to end up paying for everyone's health care anyway. I'm hoping that we're paying attention. I'm hoping we're we're noticing that fear, right? Everybody's having fear of some sort. And let me tell you this right now. You do not have to put a positive spin on your fear. To effectively have feelings, by effectively, I mean... So that feelings don't ruin your life with addiction or crappy habits or uh, just feelings can ruin your life if you don't deal with them properly. The proper way to deal with feelings is to acknowledge them and not pretend that they're something else. Just take them at face value. I am scared. I am angry. I am hurt. These are very normal feelings They're not wrong, and it's not better to just shove it down and say, oh, I don't want to be negative, or don't be negative, or on the bright side, there are going to be beautiful gifts from this experience. There are. But to silence people by insisting that they never say anything that is quote-unquote negative creates a psychosis in our culture and in our people. It is not negative to draw attention to ways we can improve based on our current realities. Like negativity has gotten a bad rap. In Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, Maslow studied happiness. Okay, happiness. You do not get to the higher levels of self-actualization or um, gratitude or things that are of a um, healthier vibration if you're stuck on the bottom level of food and shelter, 
right? There are just some fundamental things that must be taken care of for us to feel safe. Feeling safe and belonging are two very fundamental needs of humans, of pretty much all species. And our current health system leaves us feeling panicked and unsure and desperate. And it's unnecessary. We're at a point in civilization where it's just unnecessary. Like we, it's not even like we have to invent something new. All we have to do is look to the left at Canada and say, oh, okay, that's how it's done. Let's just try that. Let's replicate that. Let's watch. Let's watch countries and how they fare. How they fare through this virus based on how their medical systems are set up. Let's just watch that and see whether their panic is the same as ours. Whether their financial disaster is the same as ours. Because they have a healthcare for all system. As does Britain. Like, let's just watch and see who spends more money on this, them or us, and who gets health care. Every person in Canada knows that they get to have health care right now. Every single one of them. I envy that. I mean, I have health care for this second because I'm on Medicaid. But why should only I get it? Why don't you get it too? There's no reason why you don't get it. It is more efficient to have drug companies negotiate with all of us all at the same time so that they can't just ass rape people for kicks. It is incorrect to say that innovation only happens when people are desperate. That is incorrect. And watch how incorrect that is as we go through this crisis. Open your eyes and look and see who is offering what. People have a fundamental desire to offer their gifts. In working with people as a life coach, what it boils down to is that people have a fundamental need to feel like a productive member of something. So a big crisis in terms of creators and entrepreneurs is that I have a gift and I can't get people to buy it because I'm stuck at this space where I'm struggling to maintain this crap job so that I can keep this crap insurance so now I can't give my gift. Or I've known entrepreneurs who they make it to the ideal, I only have to work four hours a week, and they plunge into a massive depression. They've automated everything in their business and put systems around it. So that it really doesn't even require them, right? They've reached the American dream of, I don't even have to work for money. And they plunge into a serious depression because now there's no reason for them to give their gift, to be productive, to use their skills. And guess what? The ones who come out of that depression find a way to do it anyway. They find a way to be productive, 
You don't have to have a motivation of billions of dollars in order to want a vaccine or in order to want someone to not suffer. That is a lie that corporatism has perpetrated on humanity. That progress is not made unless there is a desperate need for something is a lie. We will have progress. We will be inventing things. We will be sharing. We will be addressing all kinds of illness without this lie that a profit motive is the only reason that a company would develop a drug. That is a lie. That is a lie. We have been misattributing, misdistributing. How about that? Misdistributing, misdistributing. It's not about redistribution. It's about misdistribution. We've been doing it wrong in the first place. We have been distributing rights to corporations instead of distributing resources to humans. We have been thinking about a corporation's profit instead of the healthcare needs of our citizens. We have allowed our citizens to be exploited for profit. We have been misdistributing, wrongly distributing our resources. To redistribute that, as conservatives love to say, like it's a like it's a uh, a crime. The way they say it is a crime, as if whoever had it, these big corporations who were like, I mean, just look at insulin. It is not a new invention, and yet people are dying because they can't afford insulin. It's an unnecessary problem. And the idea that these companies have a right to this technology and that we have to go through these insurance systems, it's just a fraud. It's not true. They don't have a fundamental right to that. To control a person's ability to have access to being alive, like what they need to be alive, that it should belong to this massive corporation, is crazy. It's insane. For us to throw money at these massive corporations and expect them to fix the economy is insane. It can't work because people are not working for corporations the way that they were 50 years ago. So to continue to act as though that is going to be what we're returning to and to give all of this emergency money to these giant corporations and these big health companies instead of to us, to people, to be able to, yes, maybe start that thing. To be able to have everyone covered. 30% of surgeries are elective. 
30 to 40%. I saw that on um, the governor of New York was talking about shutting down surgeries, elective. 30 to 40% of surgeries are elective. It is not as though we won't have any private medical system because, of course, we're not collectively going to pay for someone's nose job or breast implants, right? So a universal healthcare system should be efficient, easily accessible, dependable, have uh, our public health emergency situation taken care of. And then, of course, there will be upsells. I mean, I have friends who also have, in addition to in Canada or any other um, universal health system, they also have private insurance for various things that are important to them. But no one is afraid that they're going to die if they don't work for a Fortune 500 company who can afford to contribute Pay attention to how our healthcare system fares compared to Canada's healthcare system or Britain's healthcare system. Let's just watch and see and keep an open mind. Like, notice your emotional reaction when you see Donald Trump say that they're giving $53 billion to Pfizer. Like, notice. And then also, here's another thing that I've been doing is looking up who owns these companies. Who owns these companies? Because what I found out recently about who owns what is not making me want to support these companies. But they're so megalithic. They're so gigantic. And they cover so many different areas. There are certain companies on this planet that you could not boycott if you wanted to. I think that's a significant problem. You could not boycott it if you wanted to. That means it's a monopoly. All right, I am going to keep making podcasts whenever something strikes me that I feel like I want to talk about, I guess, because why not? I mean, I have a fundamental need to express. I mean, this is another thing, right? When you say, oh, people don't do things unless there's a profit. I do not make a profit from my podcast. Maybe someday if I just become a major sensation or whatever, I'm going to be making a profit. And yet something within me is fundamentally designed to have insight and to need to share that insight. Like I need it in the way that other people need air. I, I, my body develops, um, my body develops weird, (laughs) weird things like biting my tongue. If I stop communicating in a way that I'm just meant to do And so I'm going to keep making these podcasts because I keep getting downloads, I call them inspirations, uh, compelled. I feel compelled. And it's a way for me to connect with you and hopefully give whoever is the receiver some comfort, some new ideas, some new insight, some new perspective, 
um, or validate whatever you're thinking or feeling because you are allowed to be scared. You are allowed to be angry. You are allowed to grieve. We all are allowed to grieve. Grief includes sadness, anger, denial, frustration. Like all of that is grief. And we will be grieving the end of an era here. And that takes a minute. It takes a minute. This is scary. This is, for me, far more... um, I mean, I see this as an opportunity and my biggest fear that comes up is that we won't take it, that we'll just go right back to being stupid and doing things in a way that doesn't make sense anymore. Like, I feel like this is a wake-up call. So wake up, world, globe, wake up. And I feel like... um Yeah, we want this to go in a certain direction. We want it to be more love, more connection, more joy. But you don't get to that by skipping the parts where you say, hey, wait, this is a problem. Let's not do that again. All right, I am going to also, I am super good at working from home. I'm fantastic at being alone and I... Understand that most people don't have the capacity to be alone like I do. So I'm going to do a podcast about that. So stay tuned. Keep listening. Thanks for being here. Um, My name is Tracy Sue. You can find me at tracysue.com, T-R-A-C-E-E-S-I-O-U-X.com. I do have a Patreon if you'd like to get a closer connection there. I have a lot of information that I'm totally happy to share. You know, Patreon for me is a a way for me to share all of this great stuff that I have created over the years. Life coaching stuff, time management stuff, spiritual stuff. Like I've created a lot, a lot over the years. And Patreon is a way for me to be supportive to people who want that information without me splattering it all over the internet. So I have plenty of courses that I'm happy to share, um, meditations, uh, podcast talks. I would love to share these things with you without me spending 5,000 hours splattering it all over the internet to make sure that you see it. I can deliver that to you through Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com slash Sue. That's uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-R-A-C-E-E-S-I-O-U-X. And you can find me on my website. Keep listening here. Subscribe, rate, star. I don't know. Do what you got to do. But I am going to be producing more information in a less... A strategic format just as it comes to me as I feel inspired to share and um, doing that through this podcast and on my Patreon page seems like the most efficient use of my time and energy. Um, yeah, and so the people who um, really do want to participate in this with me and receive what I have to offer. Uh, Those are the places that I'm going to focus my energy, I think. I'll be posting a little bit on Facebook. Um, But honestly, friends, I've talked about this before. My trust of social media is down. So I like the idea of Patreon because they are not using my um, 
SEO words to create controversy and conflict, which I just don't have the energy for. I don't have the emotional, mental, energetic bandwidth for it. So uh, meet me over on Patreon and stay tuned. Subscribe so you do not miss um, my information about how to be alone. Love you.